on, on Monday, I celebrated my 30th birthday, <clears throat> and thank you, and I was, I was asked the question um, if I felt old now, and the reality, I told this joke a few times, so for who, those who have already heard it, I apologize, but I just felt like my age finally caught up with my hairline, and that now everything's back to at the proper level, so there's no need to worry, but the reality is I started feeling old a few years back when I realized that this game that my dad and I had been playing for years was, was no longer fun. It wasn't a game anymore. It was this fantastic game we would play. It was called, You Have No Idea What I'm Talking About. That was the name of the game. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Now, if you've never played this, I'll, I'll describe the rules for you. It's very simple. You tell someone to do something or explain to someone how to do something and they respond to you as if these are the first words you have ever spoken. Like a puppy dog that you that just peed in your shoe and you come to scold it and all it does is just turn its head and look at you dazed. That's, that's kind of how this game was played. Now, this is how it would work. My dad would tell me we'd be working on a car or working on the, in the garage or doing something, and he would tell me, go and get the, this tool. Crescent wrench, socket set, hammer. Well, hammer was usually easy. But he would tell me to go and find a tool and say, it's in the basement. And I would say, sure thing, pops. And I'd run down the steps and I'd get in the basement. And three hours later, I'd still not have found the tool and possibly have given up at that point too. And so my dad would come and find me and say, well, why didn't you find the tool? I had no idea where it is. And he would just look and it'd be right there. I don't know if it was a game that he was playing where he would hide it too in the midst of this, but he would always find the tool first try and I, I could never, I could never win. But I had, I had my own way of playing the game. I would, he would ask me a question about the computer, and I would respond saying, this is how you send an attachment through an email. And then he also would give me the same dumbfounded look. Now, either way, what we said would not lead to the response nor the object we desired. We were telling someone what to do, and they were not responding as we hoped. Now, in those scenarios, the problem always lie either in our ability to hear and understand or in the person's ability to communicate clearly. Sometimes my dad's tools were next to him when he told me to go get them in the basement. So there was problems from speaker and hearer, but the reality of this situation is true in the word of God as well. And this same problem is the problem that Christ is facing in today's passage, in the parable of the sower. And what the problem is, is that Jesus has been teaching people about the word of God. He has been going around proclaiming the kingdom of God, preaching God's word, having crowds come to him, having people from the cities and the villages and the towns following after him. And he would go on preaching God's word and his disciples were going to preach God's word and we preach God's word. And after all that preaching, there is a variety of responses. Everybody will hear it, but not everyone will, everyone will respond 
to it the way they need to. And so the question then comes up, what is the problem? Is the problem with God's word? Is that why people are not responding to it as God desired? You know, should we change it? Should we alter it? Should we make it more palatable? Should we make it clearer? Should we adjust it to fit the culture and the hearers we come in contact with? And at some point, do you ask questions of texts like Isaiah 55? I'm going to read this for you. Do we read texts like this? For as the rain, the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And then verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying his word will accomplish what it means to. So do we hear that and say, you know, I just don't know if it's true. Because it's, it's not always doing that. It doesn't seem like it's affecting people the way God intended, the way Christ intended. So what is happening? What are we supposed to do with this, Jesus? And Jesus, in response to this expected challenge, shares a parable. So we go to Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And keep in mind, he has gained a following. He has a crowd of people. This parable also appears in Matthew and Mark. And in that, in those versions, Jesus actually goes out into a boat because the beach is filled with people. So to speak to all of them, he gets in the boat and he preaches this parable to them. And he says, it starts, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now after telling this parable, Jesus' disciples were rightly confused. They had gathered to him. They had expected him to share another message of the kingdom of God that was at hand. And he tells them a parable about agriculture. So they, they are confused. So... They go to him and they ask him about it. And he continues to tell them both the purposes of his parables in general and what he specifically meant by this one. And this is 9 through 15. And when his disciples asked him what his parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes along and takes away the word 
from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, in keeping with our series, we're going to go over some of the schematics of this parable so you can understand it. And the first thing is the setting. The setting of this parable is a field, just a simple field. If you can picture a Wisconsin field that has, has been tilled, the dirt is all fresh, looks beautiful, looks like it's ready for seeds, that's what is being described here. Don't know how big it is, doesn't matter. Just picture a field, and this field has a path nearby it, a beaten path that they have walked on over and over to solidify the mud. So unlike the tilled ground, nothing can get into the dirt. And that in the midst of nearby that path, there are some extra rocks because in the midst of tilling the ground and working the field, when you do that, you, descri- you discover rocks and boulders. So the, the farmers would pick those up and move those just outside the field and toss them off to the side. And then in the midst of that, lastly, there is thorns that grow. Just random weeds and thorns that grow up, that choke the life out of other things, are kept from the field, but the farmer is unconcerned of that are growing outside of it. And then in the midst, of course, the good, tilled, ready, black soil that you just know is going to grow something fantastic. Now, Jesus wants us to be immersed in this imagery with this parable. He wants us to really to really feel it, to, to remember the hardness of dirt paths that we've walked on. I don't know if, if any of you that have picked strawberries or actually gone out in a field before or done anything like that. I can just picture muddy muddy surfaces that have dried and are just rock solid, rock hard that you think that would look great to walk on without shoes. And then you step on it and it's just, it's just awful. So we got to feel the hardness. Think of the hardness of the path. Hear the chirping of the birds that Christ is saying are coming in. See the plants that wither, that have grown so fast, but have lacked the moisture that they need. And to see those thorn bushes and those those thickets and those things that grow up around all this good soil that can just cut and choke and take away what is necessary for the true plants that are being planted. So that's the setting. Then there are the characters, and there are five characters that we want to consider in this. The first is the sower. Now, the sower is not only Christ. The sower is something that Christ is, is showing us, that there, is, there are those that will go out and preach the word. So there is both Christ preaching the word, but there are also us. We are sowers at time. We who have trusted in Christ and known him. Our sowers as well as we share the gospel and we speak the words of Christ and the words of the Spirit to those we encounter. So this is the first character, the sower. But there are also four other characters that are called both 
the soil and the surroundings. Now, Christ plainly says the seed is the word of God in this text. The seed is the word. But each soil is its own character. And we have four soils. The first soil being the hard path. The hard path. The second being, excuse me, I have a slight cold. The second being the rocky ground, the rocky terrain. The third being the thorny terrain. And the last being the good soil. Now, each of these soils points us to the crisis of the parable. What is the problem? What is going on in this parable? And the crisis occurs when each soil responds to the seed it has received. The first soil is hard. So the seed lands on it and it just sits on top. It does nothing. And so as it sits there, while all the other seed is being dispersed, birds come by and pick it up because it's delicious food. They come and take it away. And Jesus takes that original picture and magnifies it, makes it greater. And he says, not only is it a description of what happens to seed on dry ground, it is a description of those who are hard-headed and hard-hearted who hear the word and do not receive it. And so the word hits them, and then Satan comes and snatches it away. The enemy comes and takes it away, and it has no opportunity to even get into the mind of the person. This can be happening today. I don't see anyone falling asleep at this point. That's great. That means I'm doing at least something right. But this can happen for young men and young women and all of us, is that we can come to a service such as this, or we can hear people that we are speaking with, and we can doze off, we can zone out, we can fall asleep, and we can completely ignore the word of God that is preached to us, and the enemy can just take it away. Though we heard it, though we received it, it did not get into our minds, and it is taken. So that's the first crisis of the soil. The second is the crisis of the rock, the rocky terrain. These these are rocks that just have little, little segments that can collect soil. And some of the times, those segments can have the richest, greatest soil. So a seed will find itself in this little crevice, and it'll start growing. You'll see this with weeds all the time. Weeds grow out of the most surprising places because of the seeds they put out. But these weeds will start to grow, and you look at it. It's like, that is, that is just an amazing thing for a weed or a plant to grow there. But the problem comes in that this weed or this plant and the plant in our story, it has no place for the roots to go has no foundation. It has no strength. And so it grows as much as it can in the soil, and it just starts growing up. And eventually, its roots cannot sustain it. It has nothing to sustain it, and it withers. It dies. And Jesus says this happens to those who claim to be believers. They come into the church. They hear the word of God. They become excited and dynamic and say, this is an amazing, great thing. But the word is only implanted on the surface. They start to change how they act. They start to change what they say. They try and look as great as they can when it comes to being a believer. But within them, their heart 
is not broken. Their heart is not ready. Their heart is not receiving the word. And so hardship comes. Toil comes. Suffering comes. And everything they think they've banked their life on has no root. And it chokes them and destroys them. And they do not turn to God. So they too are broken. And the third one comes up the seed that fell among the thorns. And this seed is doomed from the start because it has nowhere to go. It has no food. It has no strength. It gets no water. The thorns steal it before it has the opportunity to take advantage. And Christ is saying, this is those who are more concerned about the cares of the world. This is those who are more concerned about their riches. This is those who are more concerned about their pleasures. These are the people that have received the word of God. Think of it as glorious. Love it. But they take it and go off into the world and are killed by the world's surroundings. And then lastly, we have the good soil. And the good soil there's really only a crisis and a climax because we've heard of the other ones. If, if the story was just about the, the parable of the good soil, this would just be a lot, this would just be a great story, just a nice story. But as it stands, all we've seen so far is plant after plant fail. And so Christ gets to the good soil and he describes a plant that, a seed that falls into good soil grows And not only does it grow, but it yields fruit. It yields a hundredfold. So what this is saying is that when the word of God lands on good soil, lands on a broken heart, lands on an open heart to the word of God, it grows and it grows in such a way as to bear fruit. And when this fruit is bore, that fruit hits the soil as well with more seeds and they grow into plants from there and it keeps on reproducing it keeps on growing which points us to why that one succeeded and why the others failed see the problem wasn't with the seed the problem was never the seed the problem was the heart the problem was the soil where the soil was what the condition what was happening in and that is our problem still Today, it is a problem of the heart. The word of God does not fail. Our hearts fail us. Those who do not receive the word, who receive it and then it, they occur like one of these plants. The problem is not that the sower didn't do right by them. The problem is that their heart, their soil didn't do right by them. Which takes us to the point. The problem is not the word of God. It's not. If you are reading the word of God and struggling with it, let me just start by saying the problem is not in it. The problem is in our hearts. The problem is in us. And that is important. Christ communicated that because as servants of Christ and for people that are hearing the word, if there is any doubt with the word of God, we will have nothing. There is no plant. There is no plant life without seeds. These, there would be no harvest 
The sower would have nothing if he did not have his seed. And so we have nothing if we do not have our word, have his word with us. And Jesus knew that for generations of people, the problem would appear over and over that his word was not accomplishing what they thought it would. And so Jesus is telling them and telling us it will accomplish what it will, but hearts need to be transformed first. There will be those who reject this message and you will wonder what you must do and the reality is you must pray for their hearts. So our job, and for all those who believe, the job is to continue as a sower, to sow and sow and sow and not get discouraged in the failure that can happen in the midst of sowing. But in the meantime, we must remember texts like 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 6, it is a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth in which he is describing this church's love for a variety of leaders, a connection they've had with a variety of leaders. And one of their loves was for another teacher named Apollos. And Paul says, essentially he gets to the point where he's saying, I am not discouraged because of Apollos' success. Because I planted, Apollos watered, and now God is giving the growth. And that is the calling we must hear, that we are called to sow. And there might be times when other people water, but God alone will give the growth. Secondly, I think a note is really important here. There are times when you will be sowing, when you will be preaching the word, when you'll even be bringing the word to bear on your own heart and preaching the word of God to yourself by reading the scriptures. And I would put a caution that the seed you are spreading be true seed. Make sure what you are reading, make sure what you are bringing in, make sure what you are teaching other people as you are preaching the gospel is true gospel. That it is the word of God that you are speaking of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for their sins, to pay the debt of their sins, because if you do not, you will fail as well. When I was younger, we had, we had patches of dirt, we'll just call it dirt, on, um, on our, on our land. And what had happened is we had been working on it, digging up a septic tank, whatever, um, a variety of things, and it led to grassless areas on our lawn. And my dad gave me a bag of seed. He said, your job is to go out and spread the seed, to throw it about. And so I took the bag, and he said, before you start, I have to make sure that the seed is dry. Because moisture and water, if it gets into a bag of grass seed, it ruins it. And so it's no longer helpful. It'll no longer accomplish that which it would. And so he looked into it. He felt it. And he's like, it's dry. It's good. So you can go out. And so I took that bag and I went out and dispersed it around, threw it on the ground to accomplish what I hoped it would do, which was grow patchy and eventually effective grass. And so we need to do the same thing with the word as we're spreading it. 
We need to make sure that the, the teachings that we are bringing to other people, we have to make sure that when we are reading the scripture, we aren't reading our own desires or our own will into it, but that we are taking in the true, pure, perfect word of God so that God can bring growth to it. We must make sure we are not using corrupted seed. The second point of this parable is that you are both soil and not soil. Every one of us is represented by one of the four soils described in this passage. So you are soil. I'm not going to call you dirt, but you, you are soil. But at the same time, you're not soil. So if you are hearing this message, if you are reading this passage, and you think to yourself, am I just a path that people walk over? And that, you know, I, I can't even hear the word of God because Satan's coming and taking it away from me? Or am I just a rock that, you know, I've, I've been really passionate about God's word. I've been really excited about what God's doing. But is there roots? Is something going to happen in my life that causes it all to be destroyed? Or maybe you're saying, you know what? I think there are things that are choking out God's word in my life. You know, I have TV and a computer and cell phones. And I have this hobby I enjoy, whichever it, whatever your hobby might be. And, you know, I have kids and I have a family and I've got a boss and I've got all this stuff and all these things seem louder than God's word at times. I guess it means I'm just going to fail. If that's kind of how you feel right now, if you feel like you are one of the three soils in which the word goes to, but does not bear fruit, I would say you might be. You, you very well might be. It's a good point to actually have an honest evaluation of yourself and say, this could be me right now. But the good news is that you are both soil, but you're not soil. So you're not soil in that you are not an inanimate object that can't make decisions, that can't pray, and can't repent. That is what Christ is offering today. All is not lost for you. Your heart may be hard. You might struggle to hear God's word, but Christ can soften it. You can pray you can seek him. You can seek not only the sower, but you can seek the tiller. You can seek the landowner. You can cry out to God and say, Lord, change my heart. Change this struggle that I have. In fact, the very reality that you are desiring to pray that prayer shows that Christ is already at work in you. He can tear up the path so that the soil can be good again. And so the birds can't get it. He can put a scarecrow in place. He can break the rocks up and toss them out of the way so that the good soil that's on the rocks can be usable. And he can weed out all the thorns so that as you have the distractions of this life, they do not distract you from the word of God. They stop being primary and become secondary. As desperate as your circumstance may seem, you are not and we are not out of reach of God's grace. He can turn us. He can help us. And he can change us. 
And the third point is that the story isn't over until the harvest. And I want to say that there is two great lessons that can be bore out of this parable for those who are already believers. So a lot of this parable you read and you think, this is just for unbelievers that are hearing it. And you know what? I'm a believer. I've got the good soil bearing fruit. Bing, bang, boom. I'm done. I'm set. Let's roll. No more sermon. Sorry, there's more. Okay, so first lesson is keep on sowing. Keep on sowing. It's like I said before, if you think that people's hearts can be changed, sow. Pray for them and sow. Call upon the landowner and say, till this land so I can plant more seeds. And then go forth with the word of God, with the gospel, and tell people, this is what you need. My table gives out. This is what you need. You can trust in him. You can rely on him. He will carry your burdens for you. And when they reject you, and when you see the thorns come in or you see their plants wither, sow again. Throw more seeds. The little grassy area I planted, it took me three tries to get any grass to grow on it. Because I was bad at it. I was not a very good sower. But I persisted. And it grew grass. And I would say the same thing. If you are encountering people in your life that the Lord is putting upon your heart to preach the gospel to, don't do it once and then quit. And say, I sowed and nothing happened. So forget that land. It's bad land. And it's not worth the word of God. I would commend you to keep on sowing. Keep working. Because if the Lord changed your heart, he can change theirs. He can change theirs. It took me, as a child, I was not saved until 19. The number of times the word of God was sown in my life up to the age of 19 is beyond measure. I could not count the number of times when I heard the word of God, and said, that's great. Sounds good. Really glad Jesus is our Savior. And was not broken, was not redeemed by it, just passed by it and refused it. And there was many people that didn't give up on it and kept on preaching. And because of that persistence, I was changed at 19. And that would not have happened without persistence of believers. So, First step, persist. Second, you need to keep on sowing the word of God in your own life. And you have to recognize that the obstacles that prevent God's word from bearing fruit in this story can still come into the believer's life. It will not destroy you, but it'll destroy your happiness. It'll destroy your joy. And it'll take away the sanctification that God is pressing you into, growing you into, to enjoy more of life. There are times when your heart needs to be broken a little more. You need to analyze more aspects of what in your life you're refusing to give to God and say, this does not belong to me. God is sovereign. He is worthy of this area of my life. And I repent of my sin and give it over to him. There are areas of your life where you might just be choked. 
just going to say it. You might be choking the very word of God out of your life. A few, a year ago, I got a new cell phone. It, it was the same phone I had, but I changed plans and got a, a cell phone. And it's an iPhone 5C. And it's handy. It's really helpful. And sometimes, well, let's just say it. All the time, I'm a big nerd. I'm a nerd. I am a nerd. I'm proud of it. Not too nerdy, but just enough. Hannah doesn't mind. She's okay with it. And I enjoy things like Lord of the Rings. I enjoy things like Star Wars. I enjoy fun facts and trivia. And it's all great to me. And I like naming my electronic devices sword-like names. Admitting it yet, yet again. And I thought, you know, it'd be a cool name for a phone thorn. Because it's like a little pocket dagger. Thorn. So I called my phone thorn because it would be a weapon for me to have the word of God on. And it wasn't until I was reading this that I realized it truly is a thorn. Because it'll choke. And it'll keep the word of God from me. And it'll keep me from taking time before I fall asleep to read the word of God. Or think of someone I want to pray for. It'll keep me from truly treasuring Christ. Because I will, it'll, (laughs) we got some sweet music going on back here. It'll keep me from the truths and realities of scripture. I got, it's Angela calling us. She wanted to worship God with us right now. (laughs) So a phone can be a thorn. And it can distract us. See, we timed that. Angela knew exactly the call. But a thorn, it can be this thorn that distracts us from the truth, that draws our attention away from the glory of Christ and says, look at how great technology is. You know, you can find out the score from the Packers game in 1966 right now. Go ahead and do it. Rich would love that probably right now. He'd like to look up those old games. You already know. There we go. I didn't even name the game and he knows it. But It can be this thing that consumes you, and I'm as guilty as the rest of us. Because I love to find things out. I love to learn about things. But when the things of this earth, the cares, the pleasures, and the treasures of this earth become more important than the word of God, then the thorn needs to be cut. And you need to examine, is this phone killing my life? Is it choking me? to death? Is this laptop? Is this iPad? Is this hobby? Is this interest? Is this thing choking God's word out of my life and guaranteeing me to have no fruit and to be sick, as it were? So you need to examine that thing. And I'm not saying take out your cell phone, put it on a table, and go Tom Brady all over it and just smash it into pieces. Nothing like that. The key is the heart. The problem isn't the object. The problem is the heart. So yet again, that must be examined. That is the thing that must be taken care of. Which takes us today to the hero of the parable. And the hero is the sower. And the sower, whether it be Christ Joe Schmo down the street telling someone about the word of God or yourself telling yourself again about the word of God by reading the scriptures. The sower 
is the hero because they are bringing truth. They are bringing love. They are bringing peace to you and blessing you with that because they know what you need is Christ's word. They know nothing else will help. I remember watching Looney Tunes, watching Looney Tunes growing up, and the kids won't even remember most, much of what Looney Tunes was, but I remember every time they would have one of those snow episodes, they'd, if it was like climbing a mountain or something, they'd always have a St. Bernard that as soon as they got stuck in an avalanche or something, the St. Bernard would come to rescue the people and they would bring them medicine, which now I realize was alcohol, I believe is what it was. But it was meant to keep them warm. And the reality is, in the snowstorm of life, we are that St. Bernard bringing the word of God to people. And the word of God is that St. Bernard bringing us, Christ, into our lives. So look to that hero daily. The hero is valiant, confident, unashamed, undeterred, focused, and resilient in this work. Not because they're the best. And this is, this is for all of us. Not because they are the best. Or because they know the word perfectly. But because what they carry with them is the very word of God. And it is what we need. What they hold in their hands, their heart, and they speak through their mouths. It can transform hearts. And it will accomplish what the Lord wills. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your truth that you speak through your word. And we thank you that you look at damaged hearts like ours, hearts that are rock solid and impenetrable, that you shine your love upon them, that you soften them, that you mold them and shape them and make them into something that can receive your word. So we just pray for softened hearts today. We pray that you will be softening the hearts of people who are hearing the, first, the gospel for the first time. We pray for our, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the strangers we encounter, who we speak the word of God to. We pray that you would soften their hearts. And we pray that as we disperse the seeds of the word of God, that plants would grow and that fruit would be bore and that your kingdom would grow through the most innocuous, seemingly simple method possible. And that's sharing your word. Make your kingdom great in this earth, O oh Lord. Help us as we love and teach others about your saving name, about what you have accomplished on the cross, about the debt that you have paid so that we would not be shamed and so that we would not die. And help us to praise you now in light of this glorious truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our benediction today comes out of the passage that follows Isaiah 5, 55, 10 through 11, it begins in 12 and 13. So bow your heads to receive the benediction. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. 
The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall cypress come up. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Go forth, brothers and sisters, go forth in the fruits of the word of God. God bless you. You are dismissed.